Section 19 of Jean Christophe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Seeger in Chicago. Jean Christophe, Volume 1 by Romain Roland. Translated by Gilbert Canaan. Morning 3, Part 3. One misty morning in March, when little flakes of snow were flying, like feathers in the gray air, they were in the studio. It was hardly daylight. Minna was arguing, as usual, about a false note that she had struck, and pretending that it was written so. Although he knew perfectly well that she was lying, Jean Christophe bent over the book to look at the passage in question closely. Her hand was on the rack, and she did not move it. His lips were near her hand. He tried to read, and could not. He was looking at something else, a thing soft, transparent, like the petals of a flower. Suddenly, he did not know what he was thinking of, he pressed his lips as hard as he could on the little hand. They were both dumbfounded by it. He flung backwards. She withdrew her hand, both blushing. They said no word. They did not look at each other. After a moment of confused silence, she began to play again. She was very uneasy. Her bosom rose and fell as though she were under some weight. She struck wrong note after wrong note. He did not notice it. He was more uneasy than she. His temples throbbed. He heard nothing. He knew not what she was playing, and, to break the silence, he made a few random remarks in a choking voice. He thought that he was forever lost in Minna's opinion. He was confounded by what he had done thought it stupid and rude. The lesson hour over, he left Minna without looking at her, and even forgot to say good-bye. She did not mind. She had no thought now of deeming Jean Christophe ill-mannered, and if she made so many mistakes in playing, it was because all the time she was watching him out of the corner of her eye with astonishment and curiosity, and, for the first time, sympathy. When she was left alone, instead of going to look for her mother as usual, she shut herself up in her room and examined this extraordinary event. She sat with her face in her hands in front of the mirror. Her eyes seemed to her soft and gleaming. She bit gently at her lip in the effort of thinking. And as she looked complacently at her pretty face, she visualized the scene and blushed and smiled. At dinner she was animated and merry. She refused to go out at once and stayed in the drawing-room for part of the afternoon. She had some work in her hand and did not make ten stitches without a mistake. But what did that matter? In a corner of the room, with her back turned to her mother, she smiled. Or, under a sudden impulse to let herself go, she pranced about the room and sang at the top of her voice. Frau von Karach started and called her mad. Minna flung her arms round her neck, shaking with laughter, and hugged and kissed her. In the evening, when she went to her room, it was a long time before she went to bed. She went on looking at herself in the mirror, trying to remember, and having thought all through the day of the same thing, thinking of nothing. She undressed slowly. She stopped every moment, sitting on the bed, trying to remember what Jean Christophe was like. It was a Jean-Christophe of fantasy who appeared, and now he did not seem nearly so uncouth to her. 
she went to bed and put out the light. Ten minutes later the scene of the morning rushed back into her mind, and she burst out laughing. Her mother got up softly and opened the door, thinking that, against orders, she was reading in bed. She found Minna lying quietly in her bed, with her eyes wide open in the dim candlelight. "'What is it?' she asked. "'What is amusing you?' "'Nothing,' said Minna gravely. "'I was thinking. "'You are very lucky to find your own company so amusing. "'But go to sleep.' "'Yes, Mama," replied Minna meekly. "'Inside herself she was grumbling. "'Go away. "'Do go away,' until the door was closed, "'and she could go on enjoying her dreams. "'She fell into a sweet drowsiness.' When she was nearly asleep, she leaped for joy. He loves me! What happiness! How good of him to love me! How I love him! She kissed her pillow and went fast asleep. When next they were together, Jean Christophe was surprised at Minna's amiability. She gave him good day and asked him how he was in a very soft voice. She sat at the piano, looking wise and modest. She was an angel of docility. There were none of her naughty schoolgirl's tricks, but she listened religiously to Jean Christophe's remarks, acknowledged that they were right, gave little timid cries herself when she made a mistake, and set herself to be more accurate. Jean Christophe could not understand it. In a very short time she made astounding progress. Not only did she play better, but with musical feeling. Little as he was given to flattery, he had to pay her a compliment. She blushed with pleasure and thanked him for it with a look tearful with gratitude. She took pains with her toilet for him. She wore ribbons of an exquisite shade. She gave Jean Christophe little smiles and soft glances, which he disliked, for they irritated him and moved him to the depths of his soul. And now it was she who made conversation— but there was nothing childish in what she said. She talked gravely, and quoted the poets in a pedantic and pretentious way. He hardly ever replied. He was ill at ease. This new Minna that he did not know astonished and disquieted him. Always she watched him. She was waiting. For what? Did she know herself? She was waiting for him to do it again. He took good care not to, for he was convinced that he had behaved like a clod. He seemed never to give a thought to it. She grew restless, and one day when he was sitting quietly at a respectful distance from her dangerous little pause, she was seized with impatience. With a movement so quick that she had no time to think of it, she herself thrust her little hand against his lips. He was staggered by it, then furious and ashamed, but none the less he kissed it very passionately. Her naive effrontery enraged him. He was on the point of leaving her there and then. But he could not. He was entrapped. Whirling thoughts rushed in his mind. He could make nothing of them. Like mists ascending from a valley they rose from the depths of his heart. He wandered hither and thither at random through this mist of love. And whatever he did, he did but turn round and round an obscure fixed idea, a desire unknown, terrible and fascinating as a flame to an insect, 
It was the sudden eruption of the blind forces of nature. They passed through a period of waiting. They watched each other, desired each other, were fearful of each other. They were uneasy, but they did not for that desist from their little hostilities and sulkinesses. Only there were no more familiarities between them. They were silent. Each was busy constructing their love in silence. Love has curious retroactive effects. As soon as Jean Christophe discovered that he loved Minna, he discovered at the same time that he had always loved her. For three months they had been seeing each other almost every day without ever suspecting the existence of their love. But from the day when he did actually love her, he was absolutely convinced that he had loved her from all eternity. It was a good thing for him to have discovered at last whom he loved. He had loved for so long without knowing whom. It was a sort of relief to him, like a sick man who, suffering from a general illness, vague and enervating, sees it become definite in sharp pain in some portion of his body. Nothing is more wearing than love without a definite object. It eats away and saps the strength like a fever. A known passion leads the mind to excess. That is exhausting, but at least one knows why. It is an excess. It is not a wasting away. Anything rather than emptiness. Although Minna had given Jean Christophe good reason to believe that she was not indifferent to him, he did not fail to torture himself with the idea that she despised him. They had never had any very clear idea of each other, but this idea had never been more confused and false than it was now. It consisted of a series of strange fantasies which could never be made to agree, for they passed from one extreme to the other, endowing each other in turn with faults and charms which they did not possess, charms when they were parted, faults when they were together. In either case they were wide of the mark. They did not know themselves what they desired. For Jean Christophe, his love took shape as that thirst for tenderness, imperious, absolute, demanding reciprocation which had burned in him since childhood, which he demanded from others and wished to impose on them by will or force. Sometimes this despotic desire of full sacrifice of himself and others, especially others perhaps, was mingled with gusts of a brutal and obscure desire which set him whirling, and he did not understand it. Minna, curious above all things, and delighted to have a romance, tried to extract as much pleasure as possible from it for her vanity and sentimentality. She tricked herself wholeheartedly as to what she was feeling. A great part of their love was purely literary, they fed on the books they had read, and were forever ascribing to themselves feelings which they did not possess. But the moment was to come when all these little lies and small egoisms were to vanish away before the divine light of love. A day, an hour, a few seconds of eternity, and it was so unexpected. One evening they were alone and talking. The room was growing dark their conversation took a serious turn. They talked of the infinite, of life and death. It made a larger frame for their little passion. 
Minna complained of her loneliness, which led naturally to Jean Christophe's answer that she was not so lonely as she thought. No, she said, shaking her head, that is only words. Everyone lives for himself. No one is interested in you. Nobody loves you. Silence. And I, said Jean Christophe suddenly, pale with emotion. Impulsive Minna jumped to her feet and took his hands. The door opened. They flung apart. Frau von Kerich entered. Jean Christophe buried himself in a book, which he held upside down. Minna bent over her work and pricked her finger with her needle. They were not alone together for the rest of the evening, and they were afraid of being left. When Frau von Kerich got up to look for something in the next room, Minna, not usually obliging, ran to fetch it for her, and Jean Christophe took advantage of her absence to take his leave without saying good-night to her. Next day they met again, impatient to resume their interrupted conversation. They did not succeed, yet circumstances were favorable to them. They went a walk with Frau von Kerich, and had plenty of opportunity for talking as much as they liked. But Jean Christophe could not speak, and he was so unhappy that he stayed as far away as possible from Minna, and she pretended not to notice his discourtesy, but she was piqued by it and showed it. When Jean Christophe did at last contrive to utter a few words, she listened icily. He had hardly the courage to finish his sentence. They were coming to the end of the walk. Time was flying, and he was wretched at not having been able to make use of it. A week passed. They thought they had mistaken their feeling for each other. They were not sure but that they had dreamed the scene of that evening. Minna was resentful against Jean Christophe. Jean Christophe was afraid of meeting her alone. They were colder to each other than ever. A day came when it had rained all morning and part of the afternoon. They had stayed in the house without speaking, reading, yawning, looking out of the window. They were bored and cross. About four o'clock the sky cleared. They ran into the garden. They leaned their elbows on the terrace wall and looked down at the lawns sloping to the river. The earth was steaming. A soft mist was ascending to the sun. Little raindrops glittered on the grass. The smell of the damp earth and the perfume of the flowers intermingled. Around them buzzed a golden swarm of bees. They were side by side, not looking at each other. They could not bring themselves to break the silence. A bee came up and clung awkwardly to a clump of wisteria heavy with rain, and sent a shower of water down on them. They both laughed, and at once they felt that they were no longer cross with each other and were friends again. But still they did not look at each other. Suddenly, without turning her head, she took his hand and said, Come! She led him quickly to the little labyrinth with its box-bordered paths, which was in the middle of the grove. They climbed up the slope, slipping on the soaking ground, and the wet trees shook out their branches over them. Near the top she stopped to breathe. "'Wait! Wait!' she said in a low voice, trying to take breath. He looked at her. She was looking away. She was smiling, breathing hard. With her lips parted, her hand was trembling in Jean Christophe's. They felt the blood throbbing in their linked hands and their trembling fingers. 
Around them all was silent. The pale shoots of the trees were quivering in the sun. A gentle rain dropped from the leaves with silvery sounds, and in the sky were the shrill cries of swallows. She turned her head towards him. It was a lightning flash. She flung her arms about his neck. He flung himself into her arms. Minna, Minna, my darling! I love you, Jean-Christophe, I love you! They sat on a wet wooden seat. They were filled with love, sweet, profound, absurd. Everything else had vanished. No more egoism, no more vanity, no more reservation. Love, love. That is what their laughing, tearful eyes were saying. The cold coquette of a girl, the proud boy, were devoured with the need of self-sacrifice, of giving, of suffering, of dying for each other. They did not know each other. They were not the same. Everything was changed. Their hearts, their faces, their eyes gave out a radiance of the most touching kindness and tenderness. Moments of purity, of self-denial, of absolute giving of themselves, which through life will never return. After a desperate murmuring of words and passionate promises to belong to each other forever, after kisses and incoherent words of delight, they saw that it was late, and they ran back hand in hand, almost falling in the narrow paths, bumping into trees, feeling nothing, blind and drunk with the joy of it. When he left her, he did not go home. He could not have gone to sleep. He left the town and walked over the fields. He walked blindly through the night. The air was fresh, the country dark and deserted. A screech owl hooted shrilly. Jean-Christophe went on like a sleepwalker. The little lights of the town quivered on the plain and the stars in the dark sky. He sat on a wall by the road and suddenly burst into tears. He did not know why. He was too happy, and the excess of his joy was compounded of sadness and delight. There was in it thankfulness for his happiness, pity for those who were not happy, a melancholy and sweet feeling of the frailty of things, the mad joy of living. He wept for delight and slept in the midst of his tears. When he awoke, dawn was peeping. White mists floated over the river and veiled the town where Minna, worn out, was sleeping, while in her heart was the light of her smile of happiness. They contrived to meet again in the garden next morning and told their love once more, but now the divine unconsciousness of it all was gone. She was a little playing the part of the girl in love, and he, though more sincere, was also playing a part. They talked of what their life should be. He regretted his poverty and humble estate. She affected to be generous and enjoyed her generosity. She said that she cared nothing for money. That was true, for she knew nothing about it, having never known the lack of it. He promised that he would become a great artist. That she thought fine and amusing, like a novel. She thought it her duty to behave really like a woman in love. She read poetry. She was sentimental. He was touched by the infection. He took pains with his dress. He was absurd. He set a guard upon his speech. He was pretentious. Frau von Kerich watched him and laughed. 
and asked herself what could have made him so stupid. But they had moments of marvellous poetry, and these would suddenly burst upon them out of dull days, like sunshine through a mist. A look, a gesture, a meaningless word, and they were bathed in happiness. They had their goodbyes in the evening on the dimly lighted stairs, and their eyes would seek each other, divine each other through the half-darkness, and the thrill of their hands as they touched, the trembling in their voices, all those little nothings that fed their memory at night, as they slept so lightly that the chiming of each hour would awake them, and their hearts would sing, I am loved, like the murmuring of a stream. They discovered the charm of things. Spring smiled with a marvellous sweetness. The heavens were brilliant. The air was soft as they had never been before. All the town, the red roofs, the old walls, the cobbled streets, showed with a kindly charm that moved Jean Christophe. At night, when everybody was asleep, Minna would get up from her bed and stand by the window, drowsy and feverish. And in the afternoon, when he was not there, she would sit in a swing and dream with a book on her knees, her eyes half-closed, sleepy and lazily happy, mind and body hovering in the spring air. She would spend hours at the piano, with a patience exasperating to others, going over and over again scales and passages which made her turn pale and cold with emotion. She would weep when she heard Schumann's music. She felt full of pity and kindness for all creatures, and so did he. They would give money stealthily to poor people whom they met in the street, and would then exchange glances of compassion. They were happy in their kindness. To tell the truth, they were kind only by fits and starts. Minna suddenly discovered how sad was the humble life of devotion of old Frida, who had been a servant in the house since her mother's childhood, and at once she ran and hugged her, to the great astonishment of the good old creature who was busy mending the linen in the kitchen. But that did not keep her from speaking harshly to her a few hours later, when Frida did not come at once on the sound of the bell. And Jean Christophe, who was consumed with love for all humanity, and would turn aside so as not to crush an insect, was entirely indifferent to his own family. By a strange reaction he was colder and more curt with them the more affectionate he was to all other creatures. He hardly gave thought to them. He spoke abruptly to them, and found no interest in seeing them. Both in Jean Christophe and Minna, their kindness was only a surfeit of tenderness which overflowed at intervals to the benefit of the first comer. Except for these overflowings, they were more egoistic than ever, for their minds were filled only with the one thought, and everything was brought back to that. How much of Jean Christophe's life was filled with the girl's face! What emotion was in him when he saw her white frock in the distance, when he was looking for her in the garden, when at the theatre, sitting a few yards away from their empty places, he heard the door of their box open and the mocking voice that he knew so well, when in some outside conversation the dear name of Kerich cropped up. He would go pale, and blush. For a moment or two he would see and hear nothing, and then there would be a rush of blood over all his body, 
the assault of unknown forces. The little German girl, naive and sensual, had odd little tricks. She would place her ring on a little pile of flour, and he would have to get it again and again with his teeth without whitening his nose, or she would pass a thread through a biscuit and put one end of it in her mouth and one in his, and then they had to nibble the thread to see who could get to the biscuit first. Their faces would come together, they would feel each other's breathing, their lips would touch, and they would laugh forcedly while their hands would turn to ice. Jean Christophe would feel a desire to bite, to hurt. He would fling back, and she would go on laughing forcedly. They would turn away, pretend indifference, and steal glances at each other. These disturbing games had a disquieting attraction for them. They wanted to play them, and yet avoided them. Jean Christophe was fearful of them, and preferred even the constraint of the meetings when Frau von Kerech or someone else was present, so outside presence could break in upon the converse of their loving hearts. Constraint only made their love sweeter and more intense. Everything gained infinitely in value. A word, a movement of the lips, a glance, were enough to make the rich new treasure of their inner life shine through the dull veil of ordinary existence. They alone could see it, or so they thought, and smiled happy in their little mysteries. Their words were no more than those of a drawing-room conversation about trivial matters. To them they were an unending song of love. They read the most fleeting changes in their faces and voices, as in an open book. They could have read as well with their eyes closed, for they had only to listen to their hearts to hear in them the echo of the heart of the Beloved. They were full of confidence in life, in happiness, in themselves. Their hopes were boundless. They loved, they were loved, happy without a shadow, without a doubt, without a fear of the future. Wonderful serenity of those days of spring. Not a cloud in the sky, a faith so fresh that it seems that nothing can ever tarnish it, a joy so abounding that nothing can ever exhaust it. Are they living? Are they dreaming? Doubtless they are dreaming. There is nothing in common between life and their dream. Nothing, except in that moment of magic. They are but a dream themselves. Their being has melted away at the touch of love. End of section 19